The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. There is another race of people inhabiting our world. They are not identical to us. Although we are closely enough related to interbreed, they go largely unseen and unknown. Although occasionally, there are reports from a select few eyewitnesses of encounters with them, or observations of their advanced craft and technologies, or half-remembered interactions at night in homes across the world by the general public that are usually scrambled or unclear in the mind's eye. They have been here coexisting with us for millennia, influencing our spirituality, folklore, and religious, philosophical, and even political systems. They wield a sophisticated set of technological, quote-unquote, toys that bedazzle and mesmerize us, confuse our senses and our recollective powers, allow them to walk through walls, become invisible at will, and float soundlessly through the air. Tonight, we'll discuss the long-term presence of a race of humanoid beings, different and yet disturbingly similar to us, that walk unchecked through our houses and gardens at night, lurk in our woodlands and remote places, and who move beneath our oceans and govern our dreams. We'll revisit historical accounts of non-humanoid beings, from the fairy faith of Celtic lands to the earliest accounts of aliens and ETs in the modern era all the way to the contemporary cases of Charles Hall's Millennial Hospitality and Christopher Bledsoe's Fayetteville Incident. Meditating on the similarities and apparent identical natures of these non-human entities throughout history and time, the children of Orion are here, and with them come the answers to our past, to our present, and to our future selves. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, EMP shield, solar, and EMP protection, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Ryan Musgrave Evans lives in Victoria, Australia. He has a Bachelor of Arts with First Class Honors, Philosophy, Latrobe University in Bundura, Melbourne. He is an author. His latest publication is titled Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto-Terrestrials. He is fluent speaker of Irish and Scottish Gaelic and has an insatiable preoccupation with comparative linguistics, philosophy, folklore, religious studies, and all research into the paranormal. And directly from Victoria, Australia, I'd like to welcome Ryan Musgrave-Evans, Hello, Ryan, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and thank you for waking up so early. It's always enjoyable for me to talk to people from so many different time zones, and you being in Australia, it's early there, so I appreciate it. But before we begin, Ryan, I'd like to know, I always like to build the characters so that our listeners know 
who we're talking to. And I know you have a very, very unique story. I'd like to focus on the your story first, and then we'll definitely jump into the great cases you include in your book. Yeah, okay, for sure. So, um, well, my story, uh, well, I, I'm 42 years old. Um, uh, I've been a few different things over my life, different occupations. I've been a, a, a nurseryman, like a working on um, wholesale tree farms, so basically a farmer. Um I'd also been a, a, an elementary school teacher, uh, a relief or substitute teacher for, for years as well. Um, my paranormal experiences uh, started happening quite young. Um, now, uh, there was one major event that happened um, when I would have been one month off turning five. So it's quite early. Um, it was the summer of 1983. Um where uh, my family and I were going down to the local golf course, which was an annual tradition where there were pine tree, there was a little pine tree wood, um, a little woodland uh, running adjacent to, to the golf course. And we'd go in there and we'd um, just cut a limb off a pine tree every year and take it home, stick it in a bucket with a bit of soil and pretend it was a, a whole tree and use that as a Christmas tree. Um but one particular year, there was something behind one of the pine trees, and it was peeking out at me, and it had huge black eyes, um, like a tri- triangular-shaped face, so narrowing down to a pointed chin. Um, what I thought were sort of, um, markings along the top of its head or ridges, uh, I, I always thought of it as looking like a mask, like it wasn't a real face. Very long fingers. And looked like it was even part of the tree, like the texture of its body seemed to be of the same material as the tree itself. So, so I was saying to my mother, what is that? And she couldn't actually see it. Um, and my siblings who'd been down in the woodland gathering this tree, they walked back past, uh, the very tree that the, the being was behind and couldn't see it either. So this was very, very confusing to me. Um, so as time went on, I've seen the same suit which is actually a suit um i've seen it many times since um and as an adult especially uh, a fair few times um a particular suit that they wear for cloaking and things like this which i talk a fair bit about in my book but um so i had been right that when i was a little kid that it was a mask not actually the the face of the entity itself but um you know and i had sporadic um events happen over my childhood and teenage teenagerhood um uh, that were paranormal um like poltergeist activity um waking up in the middle of the night not being able to um wake the rest of my family my siblings and my parents like they were comatose just couldn't um and then being drawn outside where i'd see tall fair beings leaping into the luminous beings leaping up and floating back down like they were dancing dark these dark beings again um cloaking suit kinds of a cloaking suit really it is this suit that had dark eyes the first time i saw it but red eyes at night so i ended up I started to see these beings these suits and then at night they have the red eyes um smaller ones galloping around on all fours leaping up into my face and things like this i have these memories in my childhood of that and then in teenage years still having um, experiences like this now i thought that they were fairies for elves. This was my interpretation. Um, and I decided that elves must be real. Um, and so I 
made a point of of researching um the pagan like celtic fairy faith of old um and read a few different books um about that um and was really driven and motivated because i was thinking well i've had the wonderful opportunity of seeing them in the flesh and so you know i already know that they're real so i'll research this now as in more recent years um uh i moved back down my, my partner and i um, moved back down to a town fairly close to the town I grew up in. So I'd lived away for many, many years and then returned. Once I returned, um, the these kinds of interactions uh, returned as well, uh, just uh, became quite intense, um, but took on a slightly different slant where then I was starting to think, hold on a sec, some of these interactions are starting to take on more of a typical kind of ET UFO abduction narrative where um, I'm taken onto craft, lying on a bed, medical procedures. So more of this sort of typical themes running through, you know, close encounter events. Um, and so that's that really sparked my interest in researching UFOs and ETs. Um, and I started to make these connections between older beliefs um, from earlier centuries past in elves and fairies and non-human entities and the recent relatively recent phenomenon of ufo et abduction law and narrative and things like that and so took became very interested um fairly recently in jacques valet because jacques valet of course wrote passport to magonia his seminal work is just mind-blowing to me to see the comparisons that he was making between celtic fairy law in particular um he really he talks about um you know societal humanoids living at the fringes of our world in general you know it's a, it's a fairly ubiquitous thing but um in particular Jacques Vallée focused on the Celtic stuff um and then after him Mactonis um took some of his ideas the late Mactonis unfortunately passed away quite young under mysterious um, and, circumstances i uh, yes you could say you could say that um yes uh um, and and post, uh, posthumously, his book was published in 2010, so he passed right. away in 2009. But his book, The Crypto-Terrestrials, A Meditation on Indigenous Humanoids and the Aliens Among Us, that was influential to me as well because that returned um, my thinking towards uh, the concrete, moving away from the etheric or esoteric and bringing it back down to nuts and bolts, flesh and blood, because that's where... Mactonis, even though he agreed in a lot of ways with what Jacques Vallée had written, that these, this was, you know, there's evidence that this is a continuum of experience. These are fairies and elves and, uh, you know, um, non-human pilots of the UFOs and, and, and an abduction law are perhaps the, the one race or perhaps several races represented over time and seen through different lenses by us now. Um as opposed to then interpreted in different ways now as opposed to then but n nonetheless a, a, a continuing um a narrative a, a representative of one race or two or three perhaps um but Jacques Vallée had suggested that maybe these beings were intangible in some sense um uh, I'm paraphrasing him here but, but uh, Jacques Vallée certainly suggested that the evidence was points towards them being beyond us in some sense and perhaps not physical in the sense that we understand and perhaps being creatures of a multiverse or something like this and 
and operating on laws of, of physics that don't apply to us all the time. Whereas um, Mac Tony said, hold on a sec, there's no need necessarily to make them anything other than flesh and blood, nuts and bolts, perhaps a sister race to us present on Earth with robust enough technologies to be um, pulling the wool over our eyes uh, with subterfuge, with, with cloaking, with mental manipulation and things like this, but nonetheless um, rooted in material, the material world rather than the spiritual. And I was thinking, yeah, I think I'm going to go along those lines in my own investigations because um, uh, I, I, I was thinking, you know, this is perhaps is an unfortunate um, analogy to make in regards to these beings, because I'm not suggesting the beings themselves are serial criminals necessarily, but the kinds of profiling that, that say, an FBI profiler would do or a, or a detective when they're seeking out a serial murderer or a serial criminal where you're building profiles, those people are presuming that the people that they're hunting or seeking are real, flesh and blood, tangible people um, that are things in themselves that do not shift and change depending on our understanding of them. And so I decided I really can't afford to be too um, uh, mystical in my in my um, uh, involvement with this. I really need to bring it back to nuts and bolts. And uh, so I did that. Um, and my understanding of them, although the line blurs when technologies are so advanced that Beings can become intangible and make objects intangible so they can pass through solid objects, perhaps open portals with advanced technology and leap through space. Of course, the distinction between spiritual and material starts to sort of blur or break down when you're talking about these levels of advancement. But what I what I felt that it was necessary for me to launch a kind of investigation into the beings that I knew, um, that, that I already knew and had been getting used to, um, I needed to bring it to the the material and the concrete. And of course, if you have a, an event like that in your life, it's not as if you're going to the library and going to the, to the librarian and asking for a point of reference. You have to do your own research and then you start finding out and it takes decades. It's not, it's not an easy task to do, but the red eyes of the beings you witnessed, it reminds me of Chris Bledsoe's story, same red eyes too. And also elves, fairies, and even angels could also have been the way our ancestors used to describe these strange visitations and beings. But I remember the first time I really pondered about the probability that what we deem extraterrestrials or aliens are not from other planets. And I'm saying, I'm saying not all of them, but think about it. More than 80% of our ocean is unmapped, unobserved and unexplored, a lot of it remains to be learned from exploring the mysteries of, of the deep. And I'm not only referring again to our oceans, but what about underground? The deepest hole ever dug into Earth in Russia, the Kola Peninsula, it's seven kilometers, about 23,000 feet. So a lot of what is underground is also unmapped and unexplored. So then came Mactonis, as you mentioned, the author of the book, again, The Crypto-Terrestrials. And he also refers to them as hidden earthlings. And again, I think he died under mysterious circumstances. He had two books, not only Crypto-Terrestrials, he had another one. I'm, I'm lucky to have both. And that's when it dawned on me, Ryan, that maybe we need to be looking right here in our oceans and underground instead of above. So instead of calling them ETs, maybe we should call them 
CTs or cryptoterrestrials. Yes, that's that's right. I, I totally agree with you, Mel. Um, uh, Mac Tony's was very much onto it. Um, now, yeah, uh, you're exactly right. Cryptoterrestrials. I mean, it, it troubled Mac Tony's that um, abduction law um, seems to involve this kind of theme of uh, being interested in our DNA, taking our DNA. Um, uh, sometimes even um, copulating with us in the old-fashioned sense, you know, like the case of Peter Curry in Sydney in 1992 and Antonio Villas-Boas in Brazil in 1957, where fair blue-eyed beings um, had sexual interactions with, with people as well. So um, now Mac Tony's was of the opinion that that is strongly indicative of them having some kind of close genetic affiliation with us, perhaps a sister race. Um, you could you could say, um, but uh, and then as you rightly said, crypto terrestrial. You know, he he floated that the crypto terrestrial hypothesis that basically says, as you said yourself just then, that the beings may be indigenous humanoids rather than extrasolar aliens. Um, to him, it was a hypothesis. He didn't necessarily believe it literally, but uh, he was just floating it there as an alternative to what he considered to be the dogmatic extraterrestrial hypothesis or eth that usually people presume a priori to be right um you know we're seeing all these advanced things we don't have them marvelous machines flying through the air beings levitating walking through walls we don't have that so therefore it must be from somewhere else so that's the sort of line of thinking that most people i think in the world of ufology have and have had um but uh now through time, you know, this is an important um, uh, uh, thing to notice. And Jacques Vallée pointed to this before uh, McTonies, of course. But, um, you know, if we have something like a tall, fair race that whistles and chirps, that lives in subterranean dwellings or habitations, that floats about on the horizon in luminous suits or sometimes looking like Will-o'-the-Wisp, um, that can um, mesmerize and manipulate human minds, um, is intensely curious, can go ruffle, ruffles through people's belongings um, uh, with the kind of like a poltergeist kind of uh, element to it as well. Um, now, that's a good description I just gave then of not only Nahuishlan, the gentry or Gaelic fairies, but also the tall whites of Charles Hall. Those two descriptions I gave could be either. And so now this particular race is the, the race that I have been interacting with all my life as well. Charles Hall called them tall whites. Um, now, before his books were published in the early 2000s, the term Nordic was more usually applied to these beings. Um, nowadays, sometimes people consider Nordics and tall whites to be two different things. But I think originally Nordics was a term for these um, and then post-millennial hospitality books of Charles Hall, um, Tall Whites has come into the vocabulary as well. But um, I, I really don't necessarily approve of either of those terms. Um, a lot of these beings uh, are quite short. Uh, they take a long time to grow. Uh, like the partner of Antonio Villas-Boas in 1957 in Brazil, the, the female that he had intercourse with on board a ship, um, she was only between four and a half and five foot, five feet tall, I believe. 
Um, and then you've got Peter Curry's partner in 1992, and he, he's to listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.